Welcome to Parlay Me Power Players. This is a podcast that explores the latest entrepreneurs, startups, founders, business leaders, and even enterprises that are changing the game. We call them the disruptors. You might see them as your mentors or maybe even your colleagues, but we are so excited to bring to you each week someone we find either fascinating, progressive, or someone that's really making changes in all kinds of industries. We are agnostic in what we cover, so we cover everything from mobility to AI to food and produce, you name it, we cover it. But most importantly, we want to showcase to you entrepreneurs that are really making a difference and making the world a better place. Our Players Podcast. Today we have a very exceptionally talented guest on the show. We have Caroline Francia. Now I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Caroline, but you are a business author who I believe has really perfected the art of creating informative yet entertaining CEO business advice. In her latest book titled Popcorn for the New CEO, it's an insightful yet practical guide to best practices and advice for the CEO. And it's in the most digestible and snackable format. Her book is titled Popcorn for the New CEO, which is a brilliant title. And Caroline has crafted a truly informative book with actionable advice for both the budding first-time CEO and the experienced seasoned veteran. So um, she draws upon a lot of her key learnings from early startup life, corporate America, and the world of the big screen. Yes, that's right. She draws in a lot of movie uh, quotes and whatnot. So we will explore in today's podcast, Caroline's journey to that of being an author and also a startup advisor and a renowned columnist for Maddiness UK, who is one of Parlay Me's partner media sites. So we're super excited to have her on the show today. We've read a lot of her articles on Maddiness UK. We've we're really up to speed on her latest book, and that's why we wanted to bring her onto the show. We wanted to find out what brought her to this place and what advice does she have for all those budding CEOs out there. So, Caroline, welcome to Parlay Me Power Plays podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. Yes, it's so great to have you on the show. And actually, we've had a couple of authors um, in the past, I think one or two, but it's super exciting to have one that's here relatively close. You're based in Paris, but your experience is quite extensive. So we're going to talk about that. But take us, I guess, firstly, for those listening, kind of back to the start. So when did you decide, okay, I'm going to write a business book for the international startup, entrepreneur, VC, and most importantly, CEO community? When did that actually come to fruition, that thought? Um, A lot of what happened last year was kind of serendipity. So I first started to talk to VCs and advisor when I was still working for Sprinkler and Datadog and such. And then I started to think that, well, I want to do that full time because it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, when I launched last year, basically working with institutions and VCs, um, we all were all hands on deck trying to create webinars and office hours to help all of all of the community basically so I got to talk with tons of people and they were very open about their struggles and what they were going through and some of these struggles were 
yes, linked to, you know, COVID and the 2020 situation, but some of them were just like, you know, normal struggles. And um, at the beginning, it was just writing follow-ups, you know, follow-up emails of here is what we talked to, a couple of advice and so on. And then one day I submitted to David uh, Johnson a, an article for Madness and he said, well, that's pretty cool. And we started a a relationship. So I had a few articles down. One day I made a comparison to Star Wars to a CEO. And I was like, basically everything I was telling him about was like, you know, you see Star Wars and this is what you're doing and this and that. And I was like, oh, that would be fun to kind of write the follow-up from, from that story, from the Star Wars story. And that became a thing. <laughs> And after a while, uh, I had enough of these to think, well, it would be good to have all of this in one place with, you know, like follow-ups, actions. And every time that I was sending an email to follow up an office hour, I was basically sending topics. And and sometimes it was like three or four of them. It's like, oh, it would be so nice to have all of this in a book. And then somebody looked at me and said, why don't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Why not? So there was a night uh, with a glass of wine and I started putting everything together and figure out, you know, what are the subjects that I'm covering? What are the ones that are missing? Um, and then this is basically um, how I started to put myself into an operating rhythm of covering one subject per week, basically. Um, because I wanted the book to be out very quickly. This is like now content and not in three years content. And this is how basically it happened. Brilliant. I, you know, I'm yet to read the book. Obviously, I've read a lot of your articles online. Um, I've been following your journey. But I wanted to bring you on the show because it has been talked about a lot. And I'm quite admirable how you've pulled it all together. So your book has been described as actually by David from Maddiness. <laughs> while we're described as a self-help book from Kevin McAllister <laughs> and the Jedi Business Development. And now those that don't remember who Kevin McAllister is are listening to this podcast, shame on you. But he's um, Home Alone, uh, the, the lead antagonist, if you will. So each chapter is truly entertaining and insightful Um, and you use both like short from my understanding very actionable chapters how did you decide on this approach when you started writing it because there's many styles you can choose from right and in my experience uh, you know when I think of a business book per se I I kind of I, I cringe you know a little bit it's they're often dry they're a bit heavy they're not so engaging but What I love about your book is that you've utilized a certain style that makes it relatable, educational, and entertaining. So tell us just a little bit how you achieve this balance because it's no easy task. Well, I guess I just remember, you know, uh, what what it was like in business schools when you had to read, you know, 500 pages about microeconomics or or anything business related, which was like super heavy. Um, And you had to basically write down summaries of summaries of summaries and i figured you know when you're in a startup everything goes super fast everything is you need to be everything every every second of your time needs to be ha, needs to have return on investment time investment and i was like how do i get the attention of the ceos because they're going 300 miles an hour um only with something that is short, efficient. Um, and this is what I had in mind. I was like, what, 
why don't I like? I don't like to spend half an hour to read a content that I could read in three minutes. So each chapter is no longer than three minutes read. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the concepts are not heavy to digest. That's another story. And each chapter has a plot summary. Um, call it plot summary because we're, we're right into the movie th- scene. So, but we've done the summary for the reader. And we don't stop there. I take you down questions, actionable questions at the end of each chapter. So you have questions like, what were your recent failures? What did you learn from them? So it's kind of like, it's between self-development and, and, and obviously business development, as, as David mentioned it. Um, I was lucky enough to have ECAT, uh, somebody who I look up to uh, from now many years uh, since I met her at Sprinkler, who is a, a bestseller author at the Wall Street Journal, who also quoted the book. And um, what she liked about it was really, you know, its uniqueness in the, the crafted tips and the relatable quotes from movies. So I wanted to write that book for everybody um, and not just like for the business people so that you can learn anything about business, no matter what your background. Excellent. Yeah, it's super accessible from my understanding, which obviously distinguishes you apart from other authors as well. But what I wanted to also, which you touched upon, is the brilliant pop culture like fun facts and quotes throughout i mean i think you draw upon you know films like wolf of wall street pirates of the caribbean you mentioned star wars um they seem like the perfect catalyst i think for you know bringing in new audiences um why do you think it resonates why do you think it has been so successful with CEOs, both established and new ones. So the book has been out since January and the feedback that I've had was um, from seasoned uh, CEOs who've ordered the book. They were like, goodness, I wish I had this like five years ago. Um, I think it resonates because it's really what they're going through and it's not based on theory, but based on actual conversations that I've had with um, both early stages startups and uh, more advanced scale-ups. It's really, uh, it's it's grounded into what they're going through um, in their everyday lives, decisions they have to make, the struggles, and it just like kind of gives an external perspective to their, their daily lives. I guess that's what I want to talk about as well is kind of the snackable content approach that you take, which I'm a big advocate for because I can tell you I'm like you. I, no, I don't really have the time, especially when you're a startup founder. You have, time is precious. Um, and, you know, reading takes time, let's be honest. Um, right. So I really do my reading like between meetings, um, catching buses. When I used to do that in pandemic, I'm staying home. But in between breastfeeding gaps, because I've got a baby. But, you know, something that you can pick mm-hmm. up and put down anytime I think is really effective. And Certainly we have this kind of persona now, or I guess we're used to it with the whole like digital communication and social media. So I'm interested in your take on, because I feel like with this book, you've kind of taken that approach almost where you can dip in, dip out kind of approach, snackable content for this book. So I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that form. Yeah, um, each chapter can be read independently so that's that was very important for me that you know again it's a, it's a time management so you have a table of content that is very clear 
um, very easy to understand, you know, like you have titles like POC versus pilot, what does it mean? Um, forecast, sales forecast accuracy, negotiation skills, and you just like pick and choose what is important for you. And if you only have three to four minutes of coffee break, you can, you know, just like go into negotiation skills with <laughs> Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean, or you can read on churn and how to avoid churn with Pulp Fiction. Um, and that was really the idea, right? Um, if you have a meeting on churn, you can prepare for it in less than five minutes. And you don't have to read the whole book. So I love that. I love that. As you, you know, going out the door to a meeting, you can grab it and quickly get some pointers. Um, yeah, no, it's very, very practical. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. <laughs> uh, you can get it on Amazon, is that right? And all your good uh, online stores? Where, where are you? Right. It's, it's available worldwide on your local Amazon marketplace. Okay. And uh, we have a broader distribution arriving within I think three to four weeks so it's going to be available on all ebooks from Kobo to Google to Apple and it should be available in stores already um I, I know it takes a while to get to stores <laughs> so I, I don't know if your local librarian will have it but it's worth asking excellent excellent and that's what I wanted to talk to as well I guess like the ideal reader if there is such thing like who your target audience is. So those listening that might be a first-time founder or, you know, a seasoned VC, um, they might be at stealth mode, they might be gearing up for their exit, you might be a techie person, you might not be. Who kind of you think is is the right fit for this book and should should pick it up? Um, I, I know this is not like a, the 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 best answer but it it really what it is is um initially what i thought would be the people who would read it were people who were looking into getting an entrepreneurship so mm-hmm. anybody um into looking into like executive teams from b2b startups now um lesson <laughs> lesson from the, from the last 3 months that the book has been published is that i've received feedback incredible feedback actually i was invited for to present the book to aws teams so you season expert sales that found value in it i didn't expect that um i actually was invited to a couple of business schools um now some people are um, asking me in engineering schools so you know like schools now a lot of the people are wondering whether they should um, or should not go into entrepreneurship, whether they should go to corporate firms or startups. So we're having these conversations. Um, so basically, it, it is a broader audience than I expected. And the feedback I received from, from the business school was very interesting is that they don't get that type of books. Mm. They don't get to read that type of books because it's, you know, it's like, it is not what they teach you. And I think I had a review in the UK that says it's what they, they don't teach you that at school. It's you have to be on the ground living it. Um, and that was one of the mo- most touching feedback that I got was like, oh, we love this because it's uh, it's the reality. Exactly. Because when you're in school, you don't know yet what <laughs> what your career is going to be. Practical advice. You can read enough theory, but when you actually have practical advice, it makes all the difference. Now, you're also a startup coach, I believe, and you have a 
consultancy called Uppercut First, which kind of builds upon the met- metaphor of competitive, the competitive nature rather of boxing <laughs> to help startups VCs navigate the business world. I love this analogy. It's brilliant. Um, hence the title, obviously, Uppercut First. So you um, emphasise using the right business techniques and strategies to knock out opponents, so to speak. Um, and specifically, you've, I just want to touch upon it, you've actually spent a great deal of time in the States and probably understand better than most kind of the US business approach. And you're now in the, in the EU, obviously. Um, I wanted to just maybe talk a little bit about your findings. And obviously, we probably need another podcast for it because there's <laughs> many but just kind of key differences uh, you know between US startups kind of go-to sales and market strategy as opposed to perhaps European startups right um this is a question that I, that I'm often asked and that, that I try to cover through many chapters in the book I think uh, one of the things that is like one of the things that is obvious and everybody knows about is that the the foundings and the finance in the US are much more consequent than any finance that you get in the in Europe. That's why a lot of European uh, companies try to go very quickly to US VCs as soon as they can to get bigger foundings. But that's not the point. The point is about the go-to market. So mm-hmm. if we talk about go-to market, right? Um, the thing about the US is that um, product, product is always second. The, the first question is, is there a market fit? Who can we sell this mm. to? And there are some deep thoughts about what, what problem are we mm. solving? What, what are we bringing to the table? What, what will people buy from us? Rather than the European market is about, uh, really, is our product better than anybody else? But but I've seen companies really struggle because by focusing too much on the product and not enough on the customer who might buy it, um, there's no fit anymore. I've actually had a conversation with an extremely talented CEO who said, look, I spent four years with this product. It was amazing, but we had nobody to sell it to. So the market fit is very important. And there's a lot of things. Um, I think to, to, to maybe do a quick summary here is that the U.S. is revenue-driven. Everything is revenue-driven. And the customer-centric approach has really come from the U.S., not like it's something that everybody's starting to talk about in Europe and trying to implement, whether you're startup scale-ups or even a corporation. Being customer-centric is what brings more revenue, right? Um, alignment. And being customer centric and align completely all of your departments from product, marketing, sales, customer success is extremely important. And I think this is what the European companies are are learning to do right now. That's brilliant. That is such crucial advice. Thank you for sharing that with us because you're so true. It's so true. And I think it also comes back to culture a lot as well. The U.S. has a very, you know, um, service-orientated culture, so it's interesting. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much. And for those that want to know more, we're not going to get all your tips and trips uh, <laughs> and tricks today, but you must pick up the book. Again, it's called Popcorn for the New CEO. Speaking of CEO, um, how, actually, a quick question. How much of the book is focused on kind of CEO as opposed to founder, as opposed to, I don't know, you know, technical roles, is it more really for the CEO or can you be kind of 
in any kind of role and pick it up? No, you really can be in any kind of role. It's really revenue-based. So the CEO, we, we call it popcorn for the new CEO. Why? Because obviously popcorn is the reference to snackable content in the movies, right? You can snack popcorn and never have indigestion. Yes. <laughs> and the new CEO is really like, you know, it, obviously I've had CEOs buying and I was really impressed. The, the, the thing is, you know, it's not just the CEO. It's really everybody who's going to work on revenue. So I have, for example, a COO, a, another CTO, a chief product officer who's reading it right now um, and giving me insights on, on what to do next. <laughs> um, but I also have just salespeople. I have a lot of salespeople because part of my job is to train salespeople. I have sales managers and salespeople reading it because it helps them in their daily jobs. And the marketing class that I taught or that I talked to because I didn't really teach them anything except for a few tips and advice. Marketing is, is also very important in the revenue and how to align. So this team is, uh, is also buying the book and they're, and they're in business school right now. So you have quite a wide demographic and I, I love that. So back to kind of, I guess, the CEO aspect of it, um, we all know whether we are a CEO or not, that it's a tough job. You just need to walk past the CEO's office and see the look on their face 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's obviously like a role we kind of all aspire to in some way. Like it's, you know, you reach the pinnacle of your career when you reach that kind of CEO status and you definitely garner industry notoriety and, and peer admiration. Um, but you also suddenly understand the full responsibility of um, you know, the success and failure ultimately lies on your desk. So I guess, and again, we want people, listen, we want you to read the book. It's really important because you'll get much more information out of it. But maybe one or two practical tips you'd give a new CEO in order to achieve that kind of success balance. Or I guess the art of negotiation, you said it was the Jack Sparrow um, negotiation that you have in the book. But I mean, yeah, is there something that finding that 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 balance between negotiation and leadership is really hard? Um, are there any kind of practical tips you could give a CEO that might be listening to this today? Right, and it is something that I think is also a very big difference that I didn't mention before between the US and Europe. Um, fail fast. Mm, yes. Fail fast and be a okay to change and recruit people that have the same mindset i think this is um something we talk a lot about in the book this capacity um to adapt to change i've seen a lot of people that who struggled in 2020 because they didn't want to change um their value proposition and they were no longer mission critical. And I say to them, you know, you have to reinvent yourself this year if you want to survive because you're not going to sell. Right now, everybody wants to survive. Um, you know, if, if you don't attach to a mission critical, you're not going to get the budget. You're not going to sell. So be able mm-hmm. to adapt and, and, and fail fast reiterate absolutely and that's that's I mean as a startup you have the luxury of doing so at least you hope so in the first at least year until you become you know you scale and it gets a bit harder but that's that's brilliant so I guess um you spent many years working in the U.S. for leading organization what 
because I just want to talk about like CEO types uh, per se. What types of CEOs are you commonly coming across? Like, for example, you have like the entrepreneurial CEO, kind of the Jeff Bezos of the world that are risk takers, <laughs> push the boundaries and they champion growth over everything. And then you have kind of, I guess, the operator style, which is more kind of the day-to-day management, um, which is a little more traditional approach. And you can be a mix of many, I guess. But also, um, I just guess what CEO styles you're seeing emerging in both, I guess, the startup and enterprise worlds. Um, and can we learn something from that, you know, um, some thoughts on that i think there's a very big difference there there are not so many ceos who start a company that have the capacity to take it to a salesforce or a facebook or a tesla level you know Mm. like if you look at um Mark Benioff, he started Salesforce and he's still here and he took it to an empire, right? But then again, they're very, very, it's a very rare thing to see a CEO remaining so long. So I think, you know, I don't think there's one style. I think what is most important is for a CEO to know what they want to do with this company, their company. Some people, they want an empire. Some people, they just want to make money. Some people, they just want to, build something and sell it and do something mm. else. Um, and I think the most important is really to know this early on because it will define who you recruit, your strategy and everything that all the efforts that you put into it. The, the, the worst case scenario, if I should say, <laughs> is the CEO who doesn't know. So this is actually a, a question that I ask often is like, what do you want to do with this company? Because my advice will depend a lot if, you know, you wish to sell to a bigger Mm. company, like you want to sell to Salesforce in a couple of years, or if you want to take this IPO, or if you don't want to build an empire, um, this is very different. And the the sooner you know, the better the decisions you're going to make and how you're going to surround yourself from a VC standpoint, from a recruitment and talent standpoint and um, your strategy. Um, but I see a lot, unfortunately, especially in the accelerator and the C level who want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't really know why. Mm, right. They're kind of caught up in the idea of it, but yeah, maybe not execution, yeah. which is why, unfortunately, you know, it's a huge I mean, startups have a huge failure rate, like 90%. So it's, you know, you've got to be in it for the long run. In some respect, you don't have to be building a legacy per se, but you definitely have to be in it, at least at the beginning. Um, I guess what I wanted to also quickly discuss is kind of something that comes up a lot in companies and it can be in its infancy as well. Um, let's not forget, just because you're one or two um, people doesn't mean you don't have a company culture of sorts. But one, one thing, you know, I, I always think you can have the most brilliant product in the world, but if your culture is to- toxic, well, then it's really hard work. So what advice would you have for CEOs that maybe are starting from scratch, you know, they're day one launching their team, or those that are perhaps even stepping into an environment um, of, you know, a legacy environment um, and what nuances. I mean, it's, again, we probably need another podcast for it, but, <laughs> but I'm just interested in what you think about CEOs in navigating kind of company culture. Well, it's very interesting because I'm working on a piece right now about this. <laughs> okay. 
and it is it is a very tough subject and you will understand why right now um when you start your company you surround yourself with people and these people it's a bit what i was just saying before right um the people who are in a five people company not many of them can be in a hundred people company um and same uh, people that you recruit when you're into execution mode, um, you know, bigger deal, enterprise, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They're not the same. It's not the same CFO. It's rarely the same CMO. Um, it, it's very different, right, between when you are very early stage and when you start, you know, scaling. Um, so in terms of culture, the most toxic culture is when you haven't been when you haven't foreseen it's when you haven't foreseen that undeniably people will have to leave at some point right you cannot have a hundred percent of the people going from one to three hundred or from zero to ten millions or twenty millions um because it's just not the personality it's not a problem of skills. Sometimes it is, but it's also how you fit. Um, people are people who love to, you know, have five different types of jobs if, might not feel comfortable being um, stuck into, you know, just like that one job with that one task. When you're 100 people, you cannot be uh, CFO, CMO, CTO, and all at once anymore. So, the, the thing is, and it's the same for the salespeople, you know, like the first salespeople that you recruit, some you might might grow into, you know, doing some corporate type of work. But Not. every every salesperson is different. And recruiters know that very well. When they recruit, they know um, the personality. Some, some sales might totally fail from going from a, an advanced corporation like Salesforce to a startup. And some might work really well. But the, the question is, are you ready to let go no matter what the title, no matter how much effort has been put into the early stages of the startup? Are you ready to let go at the right moment? Because toxic culture often comes when um, this decision is not taken early enough. Yes, yes. The, the inability to act when you need to is, yeah, is, um, can be detrimental now that's really fascinating and it is uh, culture is a whole other topic and I hope that we do get to speak again about it and I want to read your article about it um do you speak to any of it in the book just out of interest I do have a uh, safe culture I do have a no bullying and safe culture chapter um because I believe that we've all been bullied in business at some point. And I think I wanted to address this from a broader perspective from, you know, all of the places where you can be bullied and how as a vendor and how as a uh, company owner, your people in your company might bully your customers, you know, like, if you don't do this mm -hmm. by then, you know, we're going to cut our services and this goes against as mm -hmm. well of, uh, of um, being customer centric, but uh, yeah, I do. I do touch the culture from a very general standpoint. Excellent, excellent. And something I do love about your um, the uppercut first, your consultancy is your motto, and you say 
Don't count the days, make the days count. And I love that. It really resonates with me because when I first started out kind of working the startup world, someone once said to me, think of your startup as if you've already reached unicorn status. Well, you know, that's the dream. (laughs) And then, you know, you generate an X, Y set of sales per week and work with that momentum. I mean, that's a crazy momentum to work with. But, you know, thinking that, okay, in essence, you're losing 100K a week for every time you're Re, you know, redoing your logo or whatever it is that's stalling you from actually launching. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a no-brainer, but I just want to get your perspective, perhaps to share your experience on why each and every day in the startup journey, I guess whether you're failing or successful, but why it's so valuable. It is extremely valuable, and especially right now we're all remote. There's another piece I'm working on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the, the, the work has changed completely. So if you look at from a revenue perspective in the company, we all, um, especially in sales, we all used to be seeing each other. I think we've talked about this. Uh, you and I would have met at an event and not remotely. This is still happening, but it's happening remote. Where I'm going with this is you can have eight hours of Visio a day and have nothing that moves a customer forward, nothing that brings in revenue, nothing that is significantly um, moving the needle. Or you can have maybe two hours of Visio that are carefully selected, carefully prepared, and turn into another investment in another customer. Um, I think it is very important to know that Time is valuable and it's not the quantity that matters, but it's the quality. And because a lot of people packed meetings, they don't prepare them as well. Um, So I'm, I'm very focused on this. Take the time to prepare, take the time to debrief, take the time to, you know, if if you've had somebody 45 minutes on the phone or in Visio, take the time to write the follow up and the next actions. Otherwise, you've lost your time. I think in, the, in a startup, people tend to forget preparation is essential. Um, I used to have a boss who said, failure to prepare is prepared to fail. I don't know who that quote is from, but that's kind of stuck into my head. And it is the same as follow-up. You know, if you don't, if you don't luck in a next step, your meeting is, is worth nothing. nothing. Well, it's so true. I mean, preparing is vital. And in essence, that's why books like yours are so important. I mean, you can have mentors and peers in the ecosystem that can provide you advice and whatnot. Um, but I, I'm a true believer, like a well-written book um, just gives you so much more, I guess, perspective as well. Because, you know, like writers get what's called writer's block, which I'm sure everyone gets at some point. And I always believe you can get what's called startup block where you kind of feel you've reached all your avenues and kind of come to kind of a dead end. You know, we all kind of sometimes get to that point and books really offer that real guidance. So anyone like listening to this podcast, if there were like one takeaway or you can say two if you like, but but really one takeaway and you want them to have after reading the book, what would it be? And again, that's a hard one, but I just thought... Wow, that's a tough one. There's one thing, one takeaway is that there is a duo. There's a successful duo that works. And I know a lot of people will scream at me for copying Navy SEALs again. Um, 
but mindset is something that is essential. When anybody in a company loses the mindset, which I call the will, I have a skill, will, metrics. If the mindset's not there, then all goes to hell. This is when the toxic culture starts. This, in, this is when the trust is, is lost. This is when um, nobody's doing the right thing at the right time. This is when people fight. The mindset is essential. And the second thing is execution. Because when you have a lot of will, if you don't structure this, it is extremely difficult to scale. So I think this is something that works for startup scales up. But it also works like per, like in your personal career, really. If you can have this duo, this couple of mindset and execution working um, perfectly together in balance, this is where you you become a machine, really, and and in a, in the right sense of of uh, the machine, right? It's like you're unstoppable. Right, right. Yeah, you become you become a force. Speaking of forces, <laughs> um, Warren Buffett, um, argue, arguably, not necessarily, but one of the most skilled investors of our time, he said he reads 500 pages a day and it's key to his success. And I quote, he says, that's how knowledge works. It builds up like a compound interest. So, you know, that's no doubt a lot of prominent business people read um, and they make it part of their daily ritual, at least they say they do. I think Bill Gates says he reads 50 books per year, um, so that's roughly one a week. Um, and Zuckerberg recently said that he has a goal of reading one every other week. I don't know if he's still doing that. Um, but with this one, I'm just curious, are you an avid reader? Um, do you necessarily have to be an avid reader to be a writer? Um, just kind of a general question. Yeah, I'm a I'm a lonely child, so basically lost my childhoods and teenage years in books. I think my mom said to me not so long ago, "I didn't see you grow up without like having a book in front of your face." Um, a bit different. I think when you um, start working and you have the kids and everything and you have to organize it, I, I do have a rule of reading a minimum of 30 minutes a day. I'm a, I'm a fast reader, um, so I, I get a lot done. I don't read any more business books mm -hmm. because I've read a lot in my early years of career, like like many yes um now i actually read a lot of um articles this is what i read um whether it's stanford forbes hbr or anything that comes my way that i think is relevant mm. um but my books are really about they're more um spiritual and personal development which i think are very important nowadays absolutely too. absolutely especially during pandemic so tell me um, a bit of a fun question now um, as a writer, what would you choose if you had to have a mascot or avatar or a spirit animal? <laughs> what would adaptations that I did a totem animal totem or how do you call it like totem animal? I'm not sure. Um, meditation and what came was the eagle. So there you go. Whatever ah, that means. <laughs> okay, I love. That. Yes, you saw. You saw. Um, that's brilliant. And um, 
you know, for many, I guess, traditional literary uh, authors, you know, reaching, you know, critical acclaim is always kind of the end goal. But for a business writer, I guess, what does success look like for you? Or what's the journey? Like, are you going to write a sequel? Are you going to do a follow-on book? Um, yeah, just thoughts on that. Um, I have a, a co-author book that is more on the spiritual and self-development side that is in the works. And it's already written. We are um, editing now. <laughs> very, very different. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's four hands writing. I am also on an upper reading rhythm, so I'm execution now um, to deliver the sequel. I don't know yet. I can't tell you if it's going to be popcorn for somebody else or if it's going to be coffee with the board or whatever. But it's going to be in the same oh. style, and um, with a lot of the struggles that I'm hearing in 2021. Um, and it's going to be with movies and snackable. It's exactly the same, just new new topics. I think you've seen that I've um, talked about a, a very important topics in 2021 is the Eisenhower matrix and how to differenti- differentiate urgent from important. So all of these topics, um, how to reinvent your job and working remotely, etc etc learnings from 2020 and 20 and, and how to implement this in 2021 um so second business book is the is the target for 2022 january 2022 for sure excellent excellent and i guess i can't i have to ask you um who out of all the movie characters and whatnot that you you quote and that you reference in um popcorn for the new ceo which character would you say offers the most learnings for a CEO which which movie should we go watch (laughs) to get some really kind of great um you know learnings from I I've picked like uh, (laughs) I've picked blockbusters movie so I don't know like if you're re if you're watching the movie from a business angle you might not have the uh the same um like if you watch pulp fiction i don't know if you're going to have the same perspective that you would have in when you're ri- reading the book um right. i can tell you that the ones that i had most fun with um yeah. i'm gonna definitely try to get do a piece i was thinking something like aaron brockovich or telma and louise for a um, little bit of a a, a feminine uh character um, but one of the one of the the character that I had most fun with was the um, the question of going freemium when you're a B two B company you're doing SaaS and you're thinking of oh should I do freemium um, to sort of like do some growth hacking and I use Vivian from Pretty Woman who um, is a cold girl as you may remember. Um, and there were some very, very interesting um, quotes in there. Um, if you know what a freemium is, it's a pricing business model that is um, usually free until you need additional you know, features or additional space or additional something. And yeah. um, for example, you had um, a quote that says from Edward, you can't charge me for directions. And Vivian says, I can do anything I want to, baby. I, I ain't lost. And that's <laughs> the question is also, like, why would you do freemium if you bring value to the table? Right, right. Yep, she was always selling, 
No, it's true. It's true. It's you, and that's and that's a key learning for startups too. Knowing when, when you know to value what you offer, um, and when to charge, and when's the right time to charge. So yeah, it's definitely good advice, and it gives me an excuse to go watch Pretty Woman again. So thank you. <laughs> it's yeah. been thirty years since I watched that film, but it's a classic. There's um, there's a bit of Ocean Eleven if you remember the boys of Ocean Eleven um, when it comes to pricing strategy and and margin. So I I guess if you read the book within the next you know few weeks, you'll tell me, oh my goodness, like I'm just gonna suck up on all of it. <laughs> of these movies that's the feedback I usually get is like oh I need to rewatch that movie it's excellent and I'm a bit of a trivia buff too so I'm gonna love it um and then I wanted to ask you two questions we always ask here at Parlay Me both equally important um no not really but they are are important questions we always ask um is there an entrepreneur and I guess in your case you could say an author um if you like um or we can keep it to entrepreneur um that has inspired you I guess kind of embodies what what entrepreneurship is. And look, it can be someone we know like a Richard Branson or it could be, um, you know, someone in your family. Um, But, yeah, is there anyone along your journey that you've come across and thought, oh, wow, that's that's it? (laughs) It's really funny that you mentioned Richard Branson because I read his book when I was like 12. Yeah. like I think it kind of a it was always a daydream to kind of meet him one day. Um, I I follow him. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I think what he did and his spirit is contagious, and I just really mm-hmm. like the guy. He's very likable. Um, He's now what? He's fascinating. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Holy. Um, almost, almost made me want to, you know, try to join Virgin Atlantic or something. Um, he's, he's the customer centric from the very beginning. Customer centricity Mm -hmm. is, is, you know, he was a pioneer in everything he did from that standpoint. And Um, and fail fast mentality. I mean, how he started, it was like, literally he just, created a charter plane himself <laughs> when he first started and he just didn't have any experience and he just made it happen so yeah it's interesting but um, I want to kind of add to that that um any entrepreneur whatever the stage that come to talk to me is still fascinating to me um it's it, you know even after a year even after giving them advice and telling having them tell me wow, this is valuable, I still feel fascinated by, you know, these people coming to me for for advice, you know, because they, they're putting their sweat and tears and everything in what they're doing. And I think, you know, just for that, they deserve admiration, um, no matter you know, how advanced they are. So I really like all office hours that I have, um, yeah. I really finish. Brilliant, because you offer office hours and for those listening, do go to Uppercut first as well, um, which is um, Caroline's consultancy. If you want to book time with her, um, grab her book. Like we said, on Amazon, you can get it, hopefully in your nearest bookshop coming soon, but you can definitely get it on Amazon right now. Last question for you is if you're a gambling person, and we're not endorsing gambling in any shape, form here, but if you were, would you be a poker, a roulette, or a blackjack player? So I, what does this mean? 
This is our signature Paul like me question. I know, but you know, I don't play any and I'm like, okay. Um, what is that requires most strategic thinking? Because that's the type of game that I like to play. Poker, did you say poker? I say well, I say anything that requires strategic thinking. You know, I like games like Settlers of Catan or chess or things like that where you have to kind of like so would Parker be one? I don't okay. know. Okay, would and 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 literally that is a strategic game. So that's what we look at because you know some um, some founders or entrepreneurs rather you know if they go for a roulette we kind of put them in the like they like luck they chance taker mm-hmm. um, poker you kind of you're a little more you like the game blackjack it's pretty you're pretty uh all business <laughs> right then i'll pick poker <laughs> there you go so poker's a good happy medium it's between roulette and blackjack and so right. it is interesting what people answer um but look thank you so much for your time today i really really do appreciate it and i'm so looking forward to reading your book a because it just sounds brilliant and B, because I need some help too. So this is going to help me as I charter the whole, you know, CEO startup world myself. So thank you so much, Caroline. And I'm, this won't be the end of us speaking with Caroline. We're actually, I'll be reviewing her book shortly as well. So keep a look out for that on parlayme.com. And there'll be more content coming so you can discover more about Caroline and all her endeavours over the next few weeks through Parlay Me. But thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye.